how are you? Everybody have a good holiday season, great Christmas, New Year's. Hope you got to spend some time with family and friends. Maybe some of you had a few extra days off, got to sleep in. Some of you are like, no. <laughs> maybe some great food, just maybe relaxing a little bit, a little different pace. But it's great to see all of you. Thanks for being here today. So some of you may remember a little thing a few years ago called COVID. Anybody? Yeah, I try not to bring it up. I, I just want to kind of keep moving away from it. But um, our family, the Wilson family, just like many of your families, we had to find our way to navigate and negotiate some completely different circumstances than we had ever encountered before. And it certainly uh, hit home for us uh, that particular Christmas. Um, we, uh, like you, we, we love getting our family together and celebrating the holidays. And um, what happened in our house, you know, Charlotte, my wife Charlotte and I, we have two sons. Uh, our oldest son is 28, our youngest son is 23. And uh, so this was three years ago, I guess. And um, right before Christmas, one of my sons came down with COVID. And then he was no sooner getting better than I got COVID. And that happened to include the Christmas holiday. And so we weren't able to celebrate Christmas all together in the same house. Again, we're not the only ones who had that, that situation. But uh, on Christmas morning, our son from Austin came down. He sat in the front yard and the rest of us sat at like different windows in our living room. We had Christmas together. It was certainly not what we had all hoped. And so what we decided is that we weren't going to open any gifts on Christmas Day, that we were going to wait until everybody was better and we could all be in the same room. And that didn't work out until like the 28th or the 29th of December. And so um, we just decided to give it a completely different name and we called it Crew Year. Christmas and New Year's kind of combined together before the New Year, after Christmas. So we celebrate this thing, and this tradition has now lasted. We, we celebrate Christmas, Crew Year, and New Year's. And, um, you know, because we're always looking for an excuse to party. So we, we love to have a good time. But anyways, um, here's one of the traditions of our Crew Year celebration. We celebrate Crew Year's Eve. And what we do is we have a big dinner together. And we either make something really nice at home or we go out to a really fancy restaurant. And part of the tradition of Crew Year's Eve dinner is we all sit around the table and each member of our family has to share what it is that they're looking forward to in the new year. And that can be in the form of like um, New Year's resolutions or if you don't like that word, you can just call them goals. Or you can describe maybe something that's on a bucket list that you would like to accomplish in the coming year. And we even allow for what we call themes or mantras. If you have just a certain theme that you're committed to sort of ordering your year around. And so my oldest son, he's a, he's a big mantra kind of guy. He, and he puts a lot of thought into like this phrase that's going to be his guide for the coming year. 
my youngest son, he's a little bit more of a bucket list kind of kid, more of a goals oriented kind of person. So he works that way. And what we do is we write all each family member's goals or bucket list items down. And then throughout the year, we encourage one another and keep each other accountable to the progress that we're making to accomplishing these things. Make sense? So um, this year, we, we went out to a really nice restaurant and had dinner together, and uh, we were sharing our New Year's um, anticipations. And um, what we recognized that when each of us shared, there was a common denominator, and that is that there was this real sense of urgency about not just saying what we're going to do, but following through with it and making sure that it gets done in the coming year. And so we actually referred to this as do year. This is our do year. And so now we wish each other happy do year, happy do year. And um, so what, what is it about a new year that seems to stir within all of us a certain flicker of hopefulness of better things to come? Because it's a pretty common experience among human beings that at the start of a new year, there's sort of like this new chapter, this new anticipation of better things to come, of new and different about pursuing life with a greater intentionality or greater intensity and, and making some goals and, and endeavoring to accomplish them. What is it about the human spirit that seems to welcome a new year with the prospect of change and better? Now, I, I don't know exactly what that is, but I just know that it's a pretty common experience. But let's face it, we've all lived enough years that we start out the new year with a sense of hopefulness and excitement and enthusiasm about how we think this year is going to go. And then life happens. And whether it's a couple of weeks or a couple of months later, all of us at times find ourselves living in seasons where the year's not going like we had hoped, like we had planned or like we had wanted. And we find ourselves in situations that leave us uh, feeling maybe disappointed or discouraged. Some situations we feel defeated and others can be serious enough that they end up making us feel very disillusioned about our life. And our life's not going anywhere like we thought it would be with all the anticipation of January. And it's different for everybody. For some people, that, that change in the year may be some sort of relational drama. Maybe you and your spouse aren't getting along very well. Or maybe it's some sort of relational upheaval with one of your children. Or maybe it's just somebody in your extended family, your parents or a brother or a sister, or, or maybe it's a neighbor or somebody at work. And there's relational drama that sort of leaves you upset and frustrated and angry. And this isn't how I anticipated my year to go. Or maybe for others, it's sort of some sort of health complication, either for you or for somebody that you're close to. And you start the year and everything's working well and going well. And then something stops working like it's intended. Or you start feeling some things you had never felt before. You go and see the doctor and you, you get some bad news about something that's not working right on your body. And pretty soon you find yourself consumed with either providing or taking care of yourself or somebody that you love. 
Maybe for some of you, it would be um, a setback in, in your finances, some sort of financial issue. Maybe a change in your job, maybe a change in your paycheck, maybe some sort of unexpected expense that you weren't anticipating. You find yourself kind of behind the eight ball financially, and it's really disappointing and frustrating. Maybe in the year, something will change in your career. Things at work will change. You'll get a new boss, a new manager, somebody that you report to, and you just don't get along with them very well. And it changes your experience with this company that you've been serving for years. And it's hard and frustrating and, and disappointing. Or, or maybe it'll be something personal, something internal to you wrestling with feelings and frustrations about the way that life is going and it becomes really, really consuming and, and discouraging and maybe even leads to some sort of depression that you had never anticipated when you started this year full of hopefulness and eagerness. So it's interesting. This seems to be an inevitable occurrence in life. Life happens. And so... People who study human behavior, psychologists, mental health experts, other behavioralists, they will tell us that a lot about how we navigate those disappointing and difficult seasons of life, a lot of it is determined by the choices that we make and the attitude that we take. That how we navigate disappointing and difficult situations in life, a lot comes down to the kind of choices that we make in those moments. Like we can't determine how other people will react, but we can determine how we will react. The choices that we make about how to respond to something that's really frustrating. And attitude, they say, is everything. That the attitude that we adopt during these certain seasons of life can make or break how we get through those situations, whether successfully or as some sort of a sense of failure. For years now, I, I've been trying to help us understand what I, I think of like the most simple recipe of the way that life works. And it's not unique to me. I think I find it as a pattern in God's design for human beings. But this is like the way that life works in the most simple explanation that I've ever found. And it's basically this, is this is life. How you think influences the choices that you make and your choices lead to the actions that you take or don't take because not doing something is an action. And this is true of everything from monu monumental sort of pursuits of life to the Monday every day. It's everything begins with a certain set of thoughts. And those thoughts have influences on the choices that we make and then leads to the actions that we take. And you can just look at that recipe and you can tell which one of those is the most important. And it's this one, our thinking, because everything runs downstream from there. So if our thinking is inaccurate or incorrect, then it's going to um, lead to lousy choices. And when we make a lot of lousy choices, we end up doing stupid stuff. But if our thinking is founded and settled and, and accurate, then we can make a lot of wise choices to do a lot of helpful or healthy kinds of things. Did you follow that? Okay. So what I want you to understand is that at the foundation of this, 
our thoughts, at the foundation of our thoughts, is our beliefs. It's what we believe to be true about life, what we believe to be true about each other, what we believe to be true about money, what we believe to be true about sexuality, what we believe to be true about relationships, what we believe to be true about God. <coughs> Excuse me. Everything comes back to that foundation of beliefs in our life. And those beliefs are critical. I'd say it this way. Beliefs are foundational to the critical infrastructure upon which our thoughts operate. Or in other words, what we believe influences the entire course of our life. Does that make sense? Okay, so here's what I need you to do. I need you to take that, stick it in your pocket for a few minutes, because we're going to get back to that. And if you're wondering what in the world's going on right now, is I'm nursing a cold, and right now I got the biggest tickle in my throat, and I want to cough, but you don't want to hear me cough, and I'm just trying to ask God to get me through this. All right, are you guys all right? <coughs> Excuse me. Okay, so if I use the following phrase, I'm assuming that most of us in the room knows what it means. You know what that means? Putting down roots. Now, most of us are familiar with it. It's a figurative expression that comes from a literal observation of life that most of us are familiar with. So if we think of a tree, tree puts down roots. That's the literal image behind that. A tree puts down roots. And then we use that picture as a way of describing an experience of life. Now, I've done a little research on roots. Interesting study. And I learned that roots have two primary purposes in the life of a tree. They provide nutrition and they provide stability. So it's through the root system that a tree receives the water and the nutrients it needs to thrive and to grow. And it's the roots that provided stability, particularly in the face of gale force winds. It gives it a, a sturdy base upon which to stand. So we take that sort of thought that putting down roots then becomes a figurative expression that we describe. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live here. I'm going to settle here. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to be here a while. I'm putting down roots. It also then becomes an expression of, I'm making a commitment. I'm making a long-term investment in this place or this situation. I'm gonna go deeper in my experience with this particular job, this particular relationship, this particular place where we're gonna build a home and raise a family. So you follow that? Okay, so it's interesting that throughout the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament, we read a lot about trees and roots. And what we find is that trees and roots are often a picture that the authors of Scripture use to help us understand something about spiritual health and spiritual vitality spiritual nutrition or spiritual stability. 
We're going to just look at three passages today. There's multiple passages that make this frame of reference. We're just going to look at three. Here's one of the passages I remember being introduced to when I was just a kid, new to my faith, and it made sense to me because of the imagery that you read in the passage. In Psalm chapter 1, the writer says this, Blessed is the person, or blessed is the one, and we'll just stop there for a second. This word blessed is a Hebrew word that at the core of its meaning is the idea of happy or healthy or prosperous. So you can read some of the Psalms like this. Happy is the person. Healthy is the person. Happy or blessed is the person who does not walk in step with the wicked. Wicked here being described, describing somebody who's opposed to the ways of God. I'm just going to do my thing, my way. I don't care what it is or what God might have to say about it. Does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners. People, again, walking away from God. Or sit in the company of mockers. All that God stuff, all that spiritual thing. I don't believe in any of that. I'm just going to live my life the way that I want to live it. And notice the progression that we see in this. Blessed is the one who does not walk and then kind of keep in company with a certain group. And then you end up standing around with them, becoming more familiar, more comfortable to the point then that you actually then take and sit among them, kind of planting yourself in the company of people who aren't interested in the ways of God. Blessed is the person who does not walk, stand or sit in the company of those who mock the things of God. But blessed is the person whose delight is in the law of the Lord. The things that God has to say and to teach. And who meditates on his law day and night. Somebody who spends a lot of time thinking about and thinking through the truth of God and how it applies to their life. Blessed is that person. And then the writer says this. That person who spends a lot of time thinking about the things of God and how they apply to life, that person, well, they're kind of like a tree. A tree that's been planted by the streams of water where its roots have ready access to the nutrition that comes from that stream, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. And whatever they do, this person who stays with deep roots connected to God. Whatever they do prospers. But the writer says this. But the same experience is not true of those who are wicked. Who push God away. They are like chaff which the wind blows away. They don't have any roots. So when the winds of life come along it just pushes them away. And then he continues this picture and he says therefore. The wicked will not stand in the judgment. It doesn't mean they won't be present. It means they don't stand a chance when they face the judgment of God. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. They won't be found among those who God approves. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Here's another passage from the Old Testament. The 
prophecy of Jeremiah. He writes this. Cursed is the person who ends up putting their trust in other human beings. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person... Well, they're sort of like a bush in the wasteland, out in the desert, that tumbleweeds that you see in North Texas. They have no root, and so wind just carries them away and crushes them. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in God. And then he continues. They, that person who trusts in God, they will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. And then Jeremiah provides this caution. He says, be very careful about the human heart. The heart can be deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who really can understand the nature of a human heart that's been impacted by sin? But we see this reference between the wicked being like chaff that's driven away by the winds or this person who trusts God and obeys his words as a tree that's planted by a stream and has all that it needs. Well, we see the same imagery in the New Testament. Paul writes to the churches at Colossae, he says, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, I want to encourage you to continue to live your lives in Christ, rooted and built up in him strong and stable lives of spiritual vitality, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith that you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than really depending on Christ. Are you listening? Don't miss this part. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow or deceptive philosophy. Now, Paul's writing to a group of Christians, a church just like ours, that existed in the first century. And what is he saying to them? He's saying to these first century Christians, you as followers of Christ, you need to be very careful. Because you live in a world that has a lot of beliefs, a lot of ways of thinking that are really dangerous to us as Christians. Guess what? Guess what? It's not any different 20 centuries later. The issues may be slightly different, but you and I, we live in a culture, we live in a society, we live in a world that's full of all sorts of hollow and deceptive ways of thinking about life. You know that, right? Now, I always have to be really careful here because I tend, to, I tend to get in trouble when I talk about these things because of the ways that people perceive them. 
We've got so many different people in the room, different ways of thinking, different perspectives and experiences in life. But I have a responsibility as a pastor to do my very best to help you as a part of this church family to understand the important truths of our faith, particularly as they relate to the culture in which you and I live every day. A culture that's steeped in a lot of hollow and corrupt or deceptive ways of thinking. Here's the truth of the matter. We can all sit here in this room on a Sunday morning. We can enjoy the, the, the experience. And then, then you go home. And tomorrow you'll go to work. And tomorrow you'll go to school. And tomorrow you'll go to the, the different places that you go. And you will be inundated with perspectives and opinions and social media and news and all sorts of voices in the culture in which we live. And we have to be aware of what it is that we're hearing and being told to believe in contrast to what it is that we learn about our faith in the scriptures. So let me just talk about some of the common ways of thinking or philosophies that are out there. I'm, I'm not making any judgment about them right now. Did you hear me say that? I'm just saying, here's things that you're probably hearing a lot of. These things represent philosophies, ways of thinking about life. From time to time, you may read about secular humanism. You say, I, I don't hear that word. No, what you hear is that God doesn't exist Human beings are the pinnacle of what exists on this earth. And it's our intelligence that will figure out what is right, what is wrong, what is true. Because in secular humanism, God does not exist and human beings are raised to the pinnacle of what's most important. We live in a culture that believes that. Here's another one. Democratic socialism is a philosophy it's a way of thinking. It's an approach to life. All I'm saying is it's a philosophy. It's a way of thinking. I'm not making any judgment about it here today. How about this one? You're hearing a lot about it. And it's pretty powerful. Gender identity. It's a philosophy. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of interpreting life. Sexual permissiveness. We live in a culture and a society where any expression of sexuality is being condoned, is being accepted and approved. And we're watching more and more aberrant expressions of sexuality become more and more acceptable. That's a philosophy. That's a way of thinking. How about liberal progressivism? This idea that as we evolve as human beings, we get smarter, we get better. And suddenly all the old ways of doing things, all the old ways of believing, all the old values. Well, they don't work anymore because we've gotten smarter and better. And we're progressing to new and different ways to live life. That's a philosophy. That's a way of thinking. Ethical hedonism. This is the idea that pleasure is the ultimate pursuit of life. And so I can literally do whatever I please and it's right because it makes me happy. That's a philosophy or a way of thinking. 
We hear a lot these days about social justice. Social justice is a philosophy. It's a way of thinking that's not always rooted in what is best or good for the human soul as defined by God. Maybe you're running into this at your workplace or your schools. Diversity, equality, and inclusion. It's a philosophy. It's a way of thinking. It's something that we have to navigate as Christians in light of the truth of God's word. Moral relativism, the very popular woke ideology. And now we're living in a day and an age, and we've seen it kind of ramp up in the last four or five years, where we're completely redefining truth. That what used to be understood and accepted as true by these definitions, that we're now living in a culture that says, well, let's just change the definition so that whatever we want to be true is accepted as truth. Now, listen to me. All I'm saying is that these are the kinds of ways of thinking, philosophies, and approaches to life that are very popular in our culture, in our society right now. And you're encountering them in your workplaces, in your schools, in your neighborhoods, and among your friends. And the admonition of the scriptures is that we as Christians and Christ followers... We must be rooted in an understanding of our beliefs so that we can navigate and negotiate how we live in response to this culture in which we are absolutely inundated with a host of ideas that are completely contrary to the ways of God. Does, does that make sense? Now, here's the problem with these kinds of discussions. And this is where I tend to get slapped is people want to make these discussions about politics. And the church shouldn't be messing with politics. Well, when it's being accused of simply being political, all that is, is a deceptive redirect to thwart any kind of criticism and to um, squash any kind of debate on any of these topics. It's really designed to bully Christians into being quiet and just going along with what it is that's most popular or most powerful in our day. And I'm saying, as your pastor, we as Christians need to be very rooted in an understanding of God's word as it defines our beliefs so that we know how to navigate this kind of world. The accusation is, is that the church has become more and more political. That's not true. What's true is that politics have become more and more religious. If you want to talk about building armies, if you want to talk about providing for the safety of citizenships, if you want to talk about building uh, infrastructure for highways and bridges, that's fine. But when politics start moving into deeply spiritual issues, then Christians have a responsibility to know how to navigate those very delicate discussions. And I'll tell you that spiritual matters like gender and about justice and about equality and about pleasure 
are very deeply spiritual items. And unfortunately, many Christians aren't prepared to be able to understand or navigate those delicate topics. And so what we see happening in the church worldwide is that we're simply submitting to and succumbing to whatever the world throws throws our way because we want to be liked and we want to be popular and we want to be accepted. And there's a silence in the room. Like, are we really going to go there? Well, listen to me. Here's what we're going to do. This year, we are going to focus on What are the foundational truths of God's word that form the beliefs that we live our lives by? And then we're going to try to be as diligent, understanding, and as honest as we can be when those foundational truths rub up to the real life realities of trying to live in our culture, in our society, then we want to have the grace and the courage to be able to speak to those issues as honestly as we possibly can. Does that make sense? So, we live in very precarious days. Just like the Apostle Paul was indicating that the church was encountering in the first century. So it's imperative that we understand the beliefs that inform our faith so that we can live vibrant, dynamic spiritual lives as followers of Jesus Christ in the 21st century. And unless you're rooted in Christ, unless you're rooted in a deep understanding of God's word, then we will succumb to the most popular, the most prominent, and the most powerful ways of thinking of our time. And as your shepherd, I want to help Make sure that we stand strong and steady as followers of Christ in the world in which we live. So, remember what I told you about roots? They're the source of nutrition and the source of stability. Well, the same is true about spiritual roots. They become the source of our spiritual nutrition. They become the source of our spiritual stability. So... Understanding what we believe is a way to make sure that we're strong and capable in our faith that no matter what life throws at us, we're able to stand and endure in a commitment to our relationship with Jesus Christ. So the Apostle Paul writes this to the early church about how the church was designed to work. So Christ, he gave the church, he gave this this movement of believers. He gave them, first of all, the apostles, the original leaders of the church. He gave them prophets, people who had the courage to speak boldly the word of God. He gave them evangelists, people with a heart and a passion for the gospel and helping people understand it. He gave to the church pastors and teachers to help folks understand the scriptures. Why? To equip his people for works of service, to engage their world so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, that we become mature, 
attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, which is just a lot of words to saying, so that we become more like Christ in the way that we live our life. Now look at this. Then, then when you grow up and become mature in your understanding of faith, then we'll no longer be babies, infants, who are tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. That's the media. That's the news. That's the uh, curriculum of many academic institutions. That's the, the, the ways of operating many businesses. This cunning craftiness that is built on lies and deceptions that are contrary to God's truth and God's word. And we have a responsibility to understand our faith so that we know how to navigate those things. So Paul writes this, I tell you, in fact, I insist on it in the Lord, that you as Christians, you must no longer live as the Gentiles. And he's using Gentiles to describe people who mock God, who push God out of the equation. No longer live like Gentiles do. And notice this. In the futility of the ways that they think, their philosophies, their worldview. They, these people who push God away, they are darkened in their understanding. They're separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their spiritual receptivity, their hearts. And having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. Read any headlines lately that might lead us to believe that that's happening in our world today? They're full of all sorts of greed. They'll do anything that, however, is not the way of life that you learned when you heard about Christ and you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Paul's making it very clear to the church is there is a way to live your life that is deceived by the world's viewpoints. And then there's a way to live your life that's been informed by the truth of the scriptures as described in the person of Christ. And we have a choice. We have a choice about how we're going to live our lives. And according to the Apostle Paul, the primary influence of that choice that we make comes back to the ways that we think. And foundational to that is our beliefs. To become the tree that you see, you have to be committed to the roots that you don't see. Does that make sense? The church talks a lot about the tree, the branches, the fruit. The church doesn't talk quite as much about the roots. So here's, here's what we're going to do. In 2024, we're going to talk about putting down roots. Just like last year in 2023, we, we explored one single topic. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? In 2024, we're just going to go deeper. We're just going to learn more about being a follower of Christ. And we're going to focus on 
what are the important beliefs of a Christian as we navigate the world in which we live? So here's what we're going to explore in 2024. Foundational beliefs. Beliefs that provide an infrastructure to how effectively your faith works in the face of real life. When you go to school, when you go to work, when you encounter friends who have very different opinions and viewpoints, do you have the kind of belief system and an understanding of those beliefs that allows you to effectively navigate those encounters? And then we're also going to spend some time this year talking about what I'd call essential skills. Skills that serve to cultivate a dynamic faith that is strong enough to endure whatever life throws at you. That's what we have ahead of us this year, is getting to understand our faith better. Anybody interested? I sure hope so. I'm excited about um, introducing you to um, an experience that we're going to invite our entire church family to participate in. It's called Rooted. I'll tell you more about that in the next couple of weeks. But we're inviting our church family to all put our heads and our hearts together around a certain experience of better understanding the essential practices of our faith as Christians. And I think it's going to be a wonderful gift in the life of our church. So I'm looking forward to sharing this year with you. Now, let me just leave you with this challenge. I encourage you to make a commitment to put down roots. To pursue a fuller, deeper understanding of your faith in 2024. And so I'll just make this offer to you without any shame. That is what we are going to do every Sunday that we gather together here at Sibylla Creek Community Church. And so I invite you and I encourage you, be here as often as you possibly can, not to check a box, not to earn some points with the big guy because it doesn't work that way. Be here as often as you can because you're interested in going deeper and putting down roots in your faith and admitting, I still may not understand clearly or thoroughly the foundational beliefs of my life as a Christian, and I need to grow, and I need to learn more, and that's what we'll be committing together to do in this room every Sunday in 2024. Make sense? You guys are awesome. Let me ask you to stand together. Let me pray for you. If you are our guest today, we're so glad that you're here. I would love to meet you. If you're um, open to it, I'll be here at the front of the auditorium following the service. Just come up and introduce yourself. I'd love to get acquainted. If you have questions about something that we talked about today, again, I'd love to wrestle with you and trying to find an answer to what it is that you're wondering about. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that as our Father in heaven... You've loved us so much that at times you warn us of the possible dangers in our life that are a threat to our soul. Father, we thank you for your honesty. We thank you for the thoroughness of the scriptures to prepare our soul for the life that you call us to live. God, I pray that in 2024, each person here at Cibolo Creek would be diligent to take next steps 
and learning more about how to live their life as followers of Jesus Christ. And Father, as we explore the idea of putting down roots, those foundational truths of our faith, I pray, Father, that you'll bless, that you'll open our eyes and our ears to better understanding the truth of your word. God, I pray that you'll give us the courage and the resolve to be honest about those truths in light of the world in which we live and the difficulties and challenges that we will face. So, Father, we ask that in this coming year you're with us, that you'd help us, that you'd guide us, that you would grow us. And I ask all of this in the name of Christ, our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next Sunday. Have a great week.